I wonder if I asked you the question, how's your prayer life going? How you might respond? Might be an uncomfortable question for some, but undoubtedly in any grouping of people in any church, some people will devote more time than others. Some people will be more confident than others. Many of us might have the best views or the views on how best to pray, um, how and when and where, or maybe you find something that, that works for you. I heard a story once of three ministers who met together in a coffee shop. Now, no jokes about ministers in coffee shops, please. And there was a telephone engineer working in the background behind them. But anyway, they were talking about prayer, and they were discussing in particular the best prayer position, whether they should kneel or whatever. Uh, one was insistent that kneeling was the only really way, real way to show respect to God, and still the other, no, prostrate on the ground, and, and still the third, no, arms outstretched to heaven. That was, that was the best way to pray. And this telephone engineer was working away in the background. And he said, gents, sorry, I can't listen to your conversation anymore, but I have to interrupt you. The most powerful prayer I ever prayed was dangling upside down by my heels from a telegraph pole 40 feet above the ground. (laughs) And they were quiet. The truth is, we probably all have some kind of idea about prayer, but if we're being honest, none of us could claim to be experts in and of ourselves. We don't really know what to say. I don't say this to discourage us this evening. Look at the disciples. These were men who had given up everything to follow Jesus. They'd probably been following him for a couple of years by this stage. They must have heard him pray on so many occasions. And yet, in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11, we read that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples I think we can all take a great deal of heart from the fact that Jesus didn't rebuke that disciple. He didn't say, well, why don't you know, or you have little faith. He didn't give one of those responses, but he obliged in giving the teaching. I'd be fairly confident that everybody here would be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. I remember as a young boy, I went to bed each night, and my mum would have come into the room and sat on the edge of the bed and prayed with me. Um, And first she would have said a short prayer, thanking God for the day or whatever, and then we would have said the Lord's Prayer together. And I do mean together, every word, every syllable, every letter nearly, together. And I'm very grateful that she taught me the Lord's Prayer, but I think that kind of familiarity can be dangerous, can't it? I think as Christians, people generally fall into one of two categories, maybe not everybody, but generally speaking, You have people who simply rhyme off the Lord's Prayer, and maybe that's a bit meaningless. Or maybe some of us, well, we know that if we did say it, we would just rhyme it off, so we don't bother saying it. And the problem is that neither of those alternatives are actually obedient to Jesus' teaching on prayer. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't stop at the end of what we now call the Lord's Prayer, but he gives us some instructions afterwards, and we read them so that we might truly pray and truly pray that prayer. So it's these that I want us to briefly think about this evening. The first instruction that Jesus gives is that of, I'll call it courageous prayer, bold prayer maybe. Jesus uses the picture of a man who goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night and he asks for bread for a guest. And of course, in that culture, not having something to put before a guest, that was a real disaster. Um, It was unthinkable 
But Jesus says that although the neighbor is in bed with his family, he said, verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. That word that we have translated as boldness could also be translated as audacity or even persistence. We don't really have a word for it in English. It has an idea about it of a boldness which is nearly offensive. It gives us an idea of the courageousness with which we can come before God in prayer, but it also has a sense of courage which is offensive or maybe even cheeky as I, as I looked up the definition. That was a word that came up. Now, I have to say straight away that we shouldn't give up on the idea of reverence before God. Clearly, Jesus is not saying that. That would lead us to think very highly of ourselves and become self-centered. In his little letter, um, James writes in chapter 4, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. That's James 4 and 3. We're not to be so bold and so brash that that we think too importantly of ourselves. We're not to give up on reverence. But that word boldness or audacity or whatever translation you would like to use, it's used by Jesus to say that we we can come before God with immense confidence and freedom to ask for whatever we like. The old little metaphor is true that only... A prince could go into the king's bedroom in the middle of the night and ask for a cup of water. Nobody else in the kingdom could get away with doing that, but the child could, and that is the access we have. Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 of one who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And if that's the God that we are approaching, then we can come confidently before him. We see it in the prayer that he teaches to the disciples He doesn't say, well, Heavenly Father, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, would you mind giving us our daily bread? I'm being silly, clearly, but there's no need to dress up what we're saying in fancy language or to beat about the bush. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. He knows what we're going to say before we say it. He knows what we need. He knows everything about us, so we can come just as we are. Yes, with reverence and with fear, but able to speak to him directly and boldly. I think the instruction of Jesus to pray boldly is perfectly summed up in Hebrews 4 and 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus' words here They are instructing us, but more than that, they're inviting us to come before God's throne of grace confidently, freely, without any restriction. The second instruction that he gives is to pray believing that God will answer. Three very familiar metaphors here, ask, seek, and knock. I can't not think about the song we used to sing in primary school, you know, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. The words of Jesus, of course, but the tune goes right and right in my head. I'll not sing it. You'll be thankful. But again, this this implies a a confidence, a, a persistence. But there's more to it this time. This time it also comes with a promise to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
I remember uh, a few years ago, and to say a few years ago is generous, it was when I was in lower sixth um, over the summer. I had a really good friend who was a big fan of the Harry Potter movies, and um, she in particular um, was a bit fascinated with one of the actors, as I suppose many teenage girls do. And um, it was Rupert Grint, for any of you who, who follow the films or who know who that is. But as it happened, he was filming here in Northern Ireland in a very exotic location. He was filming at the, at the Valley Leisure Centre in Newton Abbey. I'm not quite sure what took him there. Um, and I'll not tell you the name of the film because Justine and I watched it and it was absolutely awful. But anyway, he, he, there he was. He was recording there. And my friend said, look, would you come with me? I want to see if I can get a glimpse of this guy. So we went, um, it was over the 12th holiday, so the place was closed, that's why they were allowed to, to film. And we couldn't get into the front of the place at all, there were things everywhere, so we went round into the park behind the valley, I don't know if you know the area. And there he was, you know, in the fire exit at the back, he was standing, filming um, this scene where he was standing in the doorway. And my friend wanted to ask if, you know, she could if she could get to see him or get his autograph or get a photograph with him or whatever. But there were these two burly bouncers at the bottom gate and, and she was too shy. She, she couldn't ask. And I think, to be honest, that's why she took me and she took another friend with her. So up we very uh, unconfident-lookingly um, walked up and we, we asked if it would be possible. And five minutes later, over he came and I was taking a picture of my friend with Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. Now, I'm not saying that to blow my own trumpet or to talk about my courage because I had very little interest in actually being there at the time. But we walked up and we inquired, and it happened. The question had to be asked. If the question wasn't asked, the reward would not have been received. Now, God does give us plenty of things that we don't ask for. But at the same time, there is this invitation to come and ask for what we need. And we're told that when we ask, he will Give it to us. Ask, seek, knock. Again, it's an invitation from Jesus to all believers to bring our requests to God. Paul said to the Philippians, in the midst of real hardship in his life, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The adjectives ask and, and seek and knock, maybe they're verbs, I don't know, but they surely also imply persistence, don't they? If you're truly seeking after something and, and you fall at the first hurdle, you don't just give up. If you're seeking, you keep going. Paul wrote that we should pray continually. It's important, though, to remember that, that prayer isn't a shop unless we don't come to God just with all that we need, the God who told us to say, give us our daily bread, also taught us to say, your will be done. And we have to submit to that too. We have to remember that above our selfish desires. You might remember the words of James again. But we can come with confidence. We can come believing the door that will be opened. God does hear prayer, and he does answer according to his will. Now, this might raise the question of prayers that seem to go unanswered or not answered in the way that we had hoped. 
I mentioned those words from the book of James a few moments ago. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. But you might say to me, John, you know, I've been asking for something and I've been asking with really good motives. And, you know, I've been asking boldly and in faith, but the answer has still been no. And I have to say, there's no easy explanation for that. And in the passage that we read this evening, Jesus doesn't address the issue at all. But recently, I've been reading through the book of Job, and it wasn't an easy read, but for him, everything goes very pear-shaped very quickly at the start of the book, doesn't it? He loses his family and his property, his livestock, and therefore his livelihood, and he even becomes quite ill himself. And it was pretty much unthinkable for a man who was good and upright before God. And that's confirmed even at the end of the book. How does he respond? Well, he praises God. Job 1.21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm not saying it's, it'd be easy to do that. It wouldn't. When a prayer goes unanswered, or maybe when a loved one is ill, it's not easy to turn around and say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. But the point is that no matter how good or holy our intentions might be when we pray, God is better and God is holier and higher. He is sovereign. That's why Jesus commands us to say, your will be done. It might not always be easy for us to accept that, but we do have to submit and simply pray, your will be done. The third instruction that Jesus gives is us to pray in the Holy Spirit or for the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses the picture of a loving father here. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It might have been easy for us to picture what Jesus meant by the previous statements about praying boldly and persistently and in faith, believing that the door would be opened. But maybe it's a bit harder for us to know exactly what he means by this statement. What does praying in the Holy Spirit look like? How long have you got? If we've been born again, we've received the Holy Spirit. So why is it that Jesus includes an instruction here? when teaching about prayer, to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. Well, I think we need to step back and look at this maybe slightly differently. Let me take you back for a moment to the Garden of Eden. In the days before Adam and Eve sinned, before the fall, part of their life then was prayer. It was talking with God. God walked in the garden with them, and they spoke to one another. And how wonderful that must have been. Perfect prayer, you might say. But all of that was lost when Adam and Eve were were banished from the Garden of Eden and, and humankind became separated from God. And that's exactly why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives generally, but it's also why we need the Holy Spirit as we pray. We need to come into his presence by asking for the Spirit to, to in a sense, complete our prayers, to, to restore that relationship so that we can offer them as something acceptable to God in Jesus' name. We can't understand how the Spirit 
does that. He moves in a way that is deeper than our understanding. Romans 8, 26 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Jesus uses this picture of, of a loving Father to tell us that we will receive the Holy Spirit if we just ask. That might look, look like different things for different people, and I don't really want to get into the whole area of the Spirit this evening. But in a very simple way, we should ask for the help of the Spirit as we pray, whether we're praying the Lord's Prayer, praying the Scriptures, or praying freely. Whatever it means for each one of us, we need to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit as we pray. And even more so when we join together as Christians, whether it's in a church service or anywhere else. The thing that I personally find hardest to do when preparing a church service is to prepare the prayers. Because how on earth can I prepare a prayer that's going to be your prayer and your prayer and your prayer and your prayer to God? It's an impossible task, or at least it would be if it was just me. But that's why several times this evening we've, we've asked for the Holy Spirit to help us in our prayer, because He is the one who can unite us and unite our hearts and unite our prayers. As we draw to a close this evening, I just want to think of a few, um, I suppose, practical things coming out of this passage that we can, we can think about and things that we can maybe do in response to what God's Word has said to us today. And the first one is this. It's to ask the Lord to teach us how to pray. That might seem a little bit odd, I met with a friend on Friday uh, at lunchtime. We had lunch together, and uh, we chatted a bit afterwards. And uh, as it happens, he's preaching this evening, and he's preaching on prayer. Um, we, didn't, we didn't know that that was going to be the case, but we got talking. He's preaching on that passage from Romans 8, where, where the Spirit um, intercedes for us. And he was telling me that this, this is a man who's been in ministry for over 30 years um, and is one of the godliest people that I know. And he says one of the things that he does most often when he's thinking about how he prays is he says, Lord, teach me how to pray. Just like that disciple did. That disciple had probably been praying for a long time. And as I said, had probably heard Jesus pray many times on his own. But he still needed the instruction. Because we are fallen, because we're not in Eden, we don't know how to pray as we ought so we pray, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us by your word. Teach us by your spirit. We need to ask him to help us pray. And then we need to pray, and that might seem like the most obvious thing in the world, and you probably didn't need to come along to Ravenhill this evening to hear me say that. But Jesus said, when you pray, say. He didn't say if you pray or if you feel like it, but when you pray, and I realize that, as I said at the beginning, there'll be some here tonight who are very comfortable doing that, and some who, you know, maybe, well, I come to church, but I don't really pray. We need to get going. I've been talking about whether to tell this story or not. I will. The story is told of two young boys. They were townies. They might have been from this part of the world. I don't know. But they found themselves out on an expedition in the middle of the field, 
and they came across a bull who wasn't terribly happy about them being in what he considered to be his field. So he started to charge at them, and the two boys started to run like the clappers, but the bull was making ground on them. And one shouted to the other, what do we do? And the other shouted back, well, we should pray. And so the first one shouted back, well, you pray, I don't know how to pray. And the wee lad said the only prayer that he knew how to say. He said, Lord, for what we're about to receive, we are truly grateful. (laughs) (laughs) We pray as we can, not as we can't, somebody has said. Prayer does not have to be dressed up in, in fancy language. It doesn't have to be anything in particular. We can just talk. It doesn't have to be a set prayer like that one that, that, that the boy recited because it was the only thing he knew. Whether we are crying out to God, Abba, Father, or whether we think, Lord, I don't know where to start. I don't know how to pray. We need to talk. We need to pray. And we need to pray together don't know if you notice in the Lord's Prayer, it's give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins. It's something that's not really an individual's prayer. And when Jesus said, when you pray, say, that word you in the Greek is, is a plural. It's not a singular. It's not you, the disciple who've asked me this question. It's all of you. It's, it's a plural. We pray together. Maybe you're part of a, a small group and you do that, but maybe, maybe not. But if you struggle to pray, Why not find somebody, an elder or somebody who you know who will pray with you? Maybe you would pray after your conversation, after a cup of tea tonight. Pray together. And we need to pray the Lord's Prayer. Again, that's a a really obvious thing. But not necessarily rigidly and and stuck to it in, in in the way that we did. And it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing for us as a church to do, to pray together. But if you're struggling for what to say, you might want to use it as, as a basis. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's praise. I give you praise, Lord. Great is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, what are the situations in my life where I need to pray that for the Lord to come and for his will to be done? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And we can use that as a springboard to confess our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And we need to go for it. We need to go for it confidently and ask for the help of the Holy Spirit as we do it. And we pray in the Savior's name. Yes, because he's promised that he will do anything that we ask in his name, but more so because he is the one, the man in heaven, the one with access to the Father, sitting at the right hand of God. And we have that same access when we pray in his name. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that is absolutely mind-blowing, that he sits at the right hand of God, and in a sense, we do too, when we pray in his name. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let's pray together. Lord, teach us to pray. We come before you, Father, as people who do not know often how to speak to you as we ought. And Father, perhaps the words of Scripture tonight tell us that we pray wrongly. Lord, so often we come before you just thinking about ourselves with 
impure motives. So, Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to point us to Jesus, to highlight those motives which are wrong. Lord, to help us turn and turn away from those things and turn to you. Father, we thank you for the great gift of prayer. Thank you for the great privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Lord, forgive us when we are prayerless, when we fail to speak to you, when we forfeit that peace that we could have and we bear needless pain because we don't come to you and we don't pray. But Lord, thank you so much for sending your Son into the world to die for our sins and to bring us back to you so that we can have that access to your throne of grace. Thank you that we can come freely and confidently and knowing that you hear our prayers and answer according to your will. So Lord, help us to be a prayerful people. Help us to be those who always seek you and seek the throne of grace and who bow the knee to Jesus our Lord and to your great will, Lord, for his sake. Amen.